This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here we go. Great day for talk radio. Danny did mention some rain in the forecast. I was saying just ahead of the top of the hour that uh, this is not going to augur well for folks in central Ontario and certainly in cottage country. Bracebridge, we know, is uh, ravaged by flooding right now, the Muskoka River. Uh, There are other areas in the country as well. Needless to say, it's the spring runoff and uh, what have you. Uh, Perhaps an inordinate amount of meltwater and... uh, we cited situations where the prime minister was on uh, location, I guess, uh, doing the sandbagging there in Quebec. And he did mention, the clip was just played, that uh, he's warning cities across Canada are going to experience more frequent flooding because of climate change. And the government's need to adapt to this new reality. And uh, pointing to Doug Ford and the others who are fighting the carbon tax, uh, this seems to be, in his view anyway, uh, flagrantly irresponsible. Is it? Let's find out. Ross McKittrick is on the line. He's an economist specializing in environmental economics and policy analysis, also a professor of economics at the University of Guelph. Ross, good to have you back in the Oakley Show. Hi there. Hi, John. All right. On this matter of uh, spring floods and the idea that they're generational, if not, uh, you know, once in a lifetime or once every hundred years, and yet they're visiting certain locales every three or four years now, even where Premier Legault is saying, you know, uh, we're not going to waste any more taxpayers' money in bailing out people on floodplains like around uh, Rigo there and uh, in the Gatineau region. Is there a connection to your mind between climate change and these types of floods? Um, well, I remember a couple of weeks ago on Carbon Tax Day, the government put out a big report on the state of the climate in Canada. And I presume they want us to look at that report and uh, that report does not back up what the Prime Minister is saying. Uh, it, they say that they have medium confidence uh, that annual mean precipitation has increased on average in Canada, but the observational network is not very complete, and uh, the, there's a wide variation in patterns across the country from place to place. And as far as the future goes, um, they say it might Uh, Extreme precipitation might go up in the future, but they don't have any evidence that it has done so over the past 50 or 60 years in Canada. Um, As as far as events that cluster, um, that's often the case with rainfall. That If you have a very wet year, you're probably going to have a few very wet years in a row or a decade with more than average precipitation, then that'll be followed by a sequence of years that are relatively dry. That's just the nature of precipitation cycles. Um, But as far as this idea that all across Canada, rainfall is going up and extreme rainfall is going up and we're all going to be flooded out um, on a continual basis, that's not what Environment Canada says in their report. And um, so I, I really don't like it when the Prime Minister and mayor of Gatineau and people like that start trying to uh, engage in scaremongering for people. Um, Now, that's separate from the issue of should they compensate people that live on floodplains. Right, as I understand. Yeah, that's a thorny issue, and it's gone back a long, long time. If people expect to be compensated for floods when they live in flood-prone areas, then you'll encourage too much building on floodplains and just make the problem worse. So they have actually reasonable grounds for telling people if you live in certain areas, don't expect compensation for flooding because you're in a floodplain. It may not happen this year or this decade, but eventually you'll get hit with a bunch of floods and um, it's a predictable risk. So they they shouldn't be promising compensation for that. Again, with Ross McKittrick, 
economist specializing in environmental economics, you know, where the ravages of, uh, you know, flooding and uh, what have you, uh, I guess it happened a couple of years ago out in the Okanagan as well. They they called it a once-in-a-hundred-year flood out there, again, ascribed to climate change. And, you know, that the prime minister uh, leveraging this or making that connection, you're saying uh, the stats don't bear it out or it's a tenuous link? Actually, the Okanagan flood is especially egregious because that year the spring had been very dry in the Okanagan, and the water manager for the lake had instructed the um, lake controller to let the water levels rise as high as possible because they thought the lake level was going to go down a lot in the summer. They were expecting a very dry summer. Then the weather turned, and they started getting a lot of rain. And by the time they updated their forecasts and told the water manager to start draining water out of the lake, it was too late, and it overflowed its banks. Um, That was a case of just short-term poor forecasting. I mean, they just weren't able to see it coming. Um, That's obviously not climate change. Um, And things like the Gatineau River floods, it's it's a terrible event when it happens, and I feel sorry for the people who um, this is the second flood in a four-year span that they're dealing with. But we have always had spring floods, and Canada's a large landmass, so every spring you'll find most places have normal-looking floods, but there'll be a certain percentage that have very high flood activity. And so if if all you do is point your cameras at that small percentage and think that that's somehow typical, you're you're really misrepresenting the situation. Well, what becomes interesting as well are the economic implications. For example, if we're told these are inordinate circumstances or extraordinary, uh, again, you know, generational or once in 100 years, then the insurance people tell me uh, they've got to crank up the rates because uh, they have to meet these obligations from these devastating consequences of climate change. So we're told, I think you would dispute that link, wouldn't you? Yeah, uh, part of the messaging here does come from the insurance industry, and, and they have a vested interest in, in making people think that uh, a particular type of risk has gone up. And um, so here again, if you want to evaluate the risk, um, we do have precipitation records in Canada that go back at least a few decades for most places, and in some cases back 100 years or more. And Environment Canada has put out a number of big compilations of these precipitation records and the extreme precipitation records, and they don't claim to be discovering a a general increase or a pattern of increase. What they're saying is they might see it in the future if climate change happens to cause such a thing, but it's not there. Um, As they say, the the observational record has not yet shown evidence of consistent changes, and um, that's their own wording. You know, uh, I know that uh, recently there was a study that was uh, that came out and it reported that uh, actually climate change in Canada's northern region was actually uh, about 1.7 degrees, uh, much higher than was earlier anticipated or modeled. And uh, you were dismissive of this whole finding in a piece, an op-ed piece in the Financial Post about a week ago. Tell me about it. Well, um, you had this news clip uh, a few minutes ago of the Prime Minister saying Canada's warmed twice as fast as the global average. Um, We're a large land mass with a big chunk up in the north, and any land area warms faster than the global average because most of the globe is covered in oceans. And the way the climate system works is whenever you have a general warming trend, the land areas warm faster than the oceans. And so just because were on land, you'd have gotten the same result no matter what country you picked, as long as it's on land. 
and especially the ones that have uh, a region in the far north, because the other part of the pattern is uh, as you get into the closer to the polar regions, you have faster rates of warming. Um, the insinuation, though, that this is something to do with Canada's emissions is way off base. That um, it's it's uh, um, you could think of it also that there's some regions of Canada that warm two or three times faster than other regions, or some seasons warmed two or three times faster than other seasons. But then when you put it that way, and, and most people would have no idea, for instance, did the Maritimes warm faster than the prairies or vice versa, or where you happen to live, did spring warm faster than winter or vice versa? Uh, we have no idea unless you look at the report and see the answer, because these are still very small changes. And over... 40 or 50 years, um, they're barely noticeable as they happen. So that's why uh, we have to have people comp compile the data and draw the graphs and things like that before you would even notice um, which one was larger. So um, in the case of Canada versus the world, saying that we warm twice as fast as the rest of the world doesn't on its own mean a whole lot because the rest of the world didn't actually warm a whole lot and we're on land, so we expect to show a faster warming rate. Again, with Ross McKittrick, well, you know, there was a report earlier this week as well that showed, uh, a, this is from a top-down, somebody uh, flying over the oil sands saying that, whoa, uh, the emissions are far greater than we had anticipated or modeled. Um, yeah, I, I saw the headline on that. I don't really know what to make of it. Um, I would tend to trust the um, calculations that are based on actually measuring the amount of fuel consumption um, and uh, remote sensing of emission rates is uh, trickier. Um, but if what they're asserting is that the industry isn't reporting all its um, fossil fuel combustion and, and is understating its emissions, then that's something that they'd have to look at. But. Um, uh, like I say, the remote sensing of emissions is one way to do it, um, but actual um, looking at the combustion data, I think, would be a more precise way of estimating it. Let me ask you finally, because uh, Doug Ford now, uh, some people are criticizing him, saying that uh, it's too flippant and arrogant to say that Ontario has done its, quote, fair share, end quote, to meet Canada's national commitment to reducing greenhouse gases, because their position is, if the Paris target was 30% reductions below 2005 levels by the year 2030, they're already close to that at 22%, 8% to go, so uh, let the rest of the country pick up the slack. Is he right or wrong? Um, well, he's, he's certainly right that Ontario uh, has done a, a huge amount. I mean, the previous government liked to brag that we undertook the largest single emission reduction initiative in North America, and we certainly paid for it. I mean, we paid a fortune to endure the restructuring of the electricity system when we're still paying for it. So uh, I think they're entirely justified in saying, uh, well, this is what we've done. We think that we've done our share. Um, now, I, I know that as people have reacted to that, they're saying, yeah, but that puts a big burden on the other provinces. Um, but that's not Ontario's decision. That's the federal government's decision to set this national target without a real plan of how to get there. So I don't think it's fair to throw that on Ontario and say it's somehow our responsibility to figure out how the rest of the country meets a target that it was 
Ottawa's decision to set, like I say, without a clear idea how they're going to get there. All right, Ross, always good to uh, have you weigh in on these matters dealing with the environment. Appreciate your time very much. Thanks, John. My pleasure. You got a Ross McKittrick again, economist specializing in environmental economics. He's a prof at the University of Guelph. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.